I want to get into the content, Vision Express. So let me ask you this question. This question isn't just a general question. It's a question I want to ask you about you. What if you could envision your own future? What if you had the ability, what if there was like, I don't know, a a pair of glasses you could buy, an app you could download, a store you could go to? What if there was a way for you to almost time travel forward and get a perspective, not necessarily detail, but like a broad sense of what you felt or you believed your future was to be? And more importantly, what if you could ascertain or discern what God's vision of your own future like all of us grew up thinking about or dreaming about what kind of spouse we're going to marry, right? I mean, we don't just we don't have a blank sheet. We do later on because we realize it's very hard to find a good one. But like we, we, have, we have a vision for who we want to marry. We have a vision for what kind of job we want to have. We have a vision for what kind of friends we want to surround ourselves with. We have a vision for the kind of place we want to live. We have a vision for the kind of family we hope to have. And more importantly, if you're a Christ follower, we should, there should be a sense of where we have a vision for what our calling is in life. Like I think you've kind of come to the realization, and I hope you have, as many of us have, that life lived selfishly is the lowest way to go through this thing called life. Like life that's all about you and for you and of you is a pretty miserable way. Yeah, you can be successful. And yes, you can have fun stuff. But the trade-off for being selfish is you might have stuff, but you don't have people. Because people, having people that love you, people that are committed to you, people who want to be around you, people who are good to you and good for you, people like that don't surround themselves with selfish people. There's a degree of selflessness, there's a degree of generosity that is needed for us to have some of these things. Now, maybe you're sitting here thinking, well, I've actually never really you know, considered this question. I don't really have a clear picture of my future. I can't say that I have envisioned God or my own uh, vision for the future. But here's the thing. Did you know that you have come close? You've come close. Why? Because we've all thought when something happens to us that happened unexpectedly, when something goes wrong, when something happens in an unplanned kind of way, we all think to ourselves, I should have seen that coming. Ever, Ever said that to yourself? I mean, I should have seen that coming. Like, it's like, oh my gosh, I should have been able to have the kind of necessary foresight to know this would happen. Recently, my son, uh, baby Jonathan, we fed him a big lunch and kind of when you have a baby, you kind of know the routines of how often you change a nappy. It's going to be some free parent advice, so get ready. And uh, you may not like it, but it's coming your way. And... And so, you know, he's out playing, he has a nappy, whatever. And actually, we're, we're on holidays a few weeks ago, and we're going to go swimming. And, you know, usually as a parent, the first thing you do before you put your child in a pool is you check the nappy. Oh, no. Well, let's just say I had one of those, I should have seen that coming moments. I didn't end very well. It was quite disgusting. So the point is, whereas having babies are your life, there's these moments where we, say, we, we think this to ourselves. And the reason we think this is because, because there's something in our psyche, something in our spirit, something inside us that had a picture of how things should have went, but they didn't. Okay, not only have we thought this about ourselves, but we've also said out loud, come on, about others, you should have seen this coming. So I'm thinking, man, I should have seen this coming. My wife is saying, 
You should have seen this coming. And in that crazy, that crazy moment of, 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 of something not going according to plan is an interesting thought that we had a vision, an expectation, a picture of the way things should be. And I think, this is my premise, and again, if you're not a Christ follower, you don't have to accept this, but at least consider it, is that God put that within us, that he created us on purpose, for purpose, and with purpose. And somehow deep in our soul, we have like this, this homing beacon that we know we were made for more. We can't just settle because something in us tells us that even though we're one in, in billions, and even though our life on earth is brief and it's, you know, it's, it's fleeting, still there's some intrinsic meaning. You wouldn't take all the time you take to dress yourself nicely and wash yourself and feed yourself and invest in hair products and makeup products and other things if you didn't think you were worth the investment. So even the person in this room or online that has the lowest self-esteem, there's still something inbuilt into us that says this thing, to some degree, is worth taking care of. It's because we have a sense that we were made. There's a vision, there's a plan. Someone has a picture. But then life happens and problems happen. And here's the truth. Here's the bad news. The bad news is most personal problems can't be fixed. And I, I get really frustrated when I see churches who are always, they're building their church model off of quick fix, quick fix, quick fix. Listen, read God's word for yourself. There's no quick fix. There's no quick fix. And any church that promised a quick fix is one you should think carefully about. I'm not here to criticize churches. I don't do that. But I'm just saying, it frustrates me because Jesus didn't promise us a quick fix. He promised an eternity in relationship with him. Besides, you know this, things can be fixed. You fix a toaster, you fix a car. In fact, if you've owned a Fiat like I have, the name means fix it again tomorrow. And I thought that was silly until I owned one and literally every day I was fixing something. One day the speedometer went, another day the handbrake went. One day I was driving around town, took a corner, and all I hear is a thump. I look in my rearview mirror, there goes my exhaust, not pipe, my entire exhaust system in the opposite direction. Now this was like a tiny Fiat Seicento, you know, these tiny cars. So when it popped off and rolled across the street, my car now sounded like a rally car. There was like, oh, where's this amazing AMG Mercedes? And then they see this Amadon in a car, a Fiat, going, my exhaust pipe fell off. And then, of course, they pull over and go get the thing, and the thing was roasting hot. So I'm standing there trying to pick up my exhaust pipe in the middle of my hometown, and everyone's laughing. I'm glad I was able to share that with you. I got off my chest. Okay, so we can fix things, but you can't fix people. Wives, you can't fix them. You never will. And if you've married him with the hope of fixing him, you're going to have a long, miserable marriage. You cannot fix people, and you especially can't fix men. But people can be healed, and they can grow, and they can improve. And with God's help, we can become more than we can by ourselves. So we can't fix things, but we can be healed. Now, here's the thing. When it comes to the problems, then, we may not be able to fix them, but we can't avoid them. Most personal problems may not be able to be fixed, but they can be avoided. 
Like if we had foresight, if we had vision, if we were clear on who we want to be, then, then we can make decisions about who we don't want to be now. If we know where we're going, then we know where we're not going. If we have vision, then at least what we can do is we can avoid poor choices and wrong directions. Now, I want to talk to you about in this first message, I want to lay a foundation for what's called the principle of the path. The principle of the path. It's a principle, so it's not something you choose to apply to your life. It just applies to you all the time. Like gravity, right, is a thing. You can't decide, I don't like gravity. I find gravity offensive. Like I'm going to delete gravity. You can't delete gravity. Like you may not like gravity. You may not agree with gravity. Gravity may offend your little soul, but go jump off the roof of the Odeon Cinema and you will see gravity applies itself to you in a very real way. In the same way, this prince of the path is not something you choose to apply. It's already applying itself to you. Now, a path is not a solution. A path is a way. A path is a means. A path is a strategy to get from A to B. Not a solution, not a quick fix, not, a, not something you can do in five minutes. It's, it's something much more significant. And I don't know about you, but at least some of us in this room have, have experienced the joy of at one point in life being lost in a car. Here's a photo of what it looks like. And again, there's only one thing worse than being lost. That's being lost with your wife. In fact, let me retract that statement. There's actually two things worse. One's being lost with your wife. The other is being wrong and lost with your wife. That's the worst. I'd rather, the, I'd rather drive the car off the cliff than admit I'm wrong. But think about this. When you're on a path, when you're on a road, when you're on a way and you're trying to get from where you are to where you want to be and you get lost, here's the question. At what point do you know precisely that you're lost? Well, we don't know, right? That's why we're lost. If we knew it was at this point I was lost, well, then all we got to do is reverse back to where we were lost and now we're unlost. Just yesterday, I was going to visit a friend and uh, he lives up in Derry. And on Friday night, I drove to his house in the darkness. We hung out, had dinner, had a great time. I drove back to where I was staying. The next morning, we drove back in the daylight. And because of depth perception and distance things, I was driving up this laneway, it's the middle of nowhere, and I was convinced his house should be like roughly here. And it wasn't. And so I drove a little bit more. And then I realized, I'm lost. Or as I say, I'm not lost, I just don't know where I am yet. So I reversed back to where I knew I was, not lost. And I sat and I thought, no, this is definitely the right road. All that can happen here is that I thought the house was closer and it's not. So I drove back down to where I thought I was lost and kept driving a hundred meters. And around the bend, there was the house. You see, when you know you're lost, you can become unlost. The problem is for many of us, we don't even know at what point we became lost. But when you do become lost and you do find some kind person... And you run on your window and you go, hey, can you help me? Listen, you don't stop and say to a person, listen, can you fix me? Imagine pulling up someone on the side of a street and saying, hey, I'm lost. Can you fix me? I need to be fixed. I need a quick solution. Like, just press a button and get me there. There's no solution to be lost. You don't ask for a solution. You ask for directions. You ask for clarity. You ask someone to give you bearings. Now, one more side note and kind of funny is, if you've moved here from somewhere else in the world and you found yourself lost in Ireland and you make the mistake of asking someone, especially in the country, how do I get somewhere? I'm sorry. 
But we do use trees and humps and rocks and Mary's cottage. And of course, pubs are the only way we can find. If all the pubs shut down Ireland tomorrow, we would never be able to get anywhere. Because we can't, there are like our landmarks. Like go to McGurk's pub, turn left, you know, find Jones pub, then Murphy's pub. It's like, that's how we get it. So I'm very sorry if you had to experience that on behalf of all people of Ireland. Okay, moving on. So, so how do we get unlost? Well, we get, to, we get to where we should be in the same way we got to where we shouldn't be. We have to get clarity of direction. Here's the question. More than being lost in your car, what about your life? Are you now, are you now where you wanted to be then? Like five years ago, when you thought about your life in five, you know those kind of things you do? Like in five years, where do you want to, I hate those things, by the way. But like, you know those things you do? Like in five years, like are you now, roughly speaking, where you wanted to be then? Because if you're not, if you got lost along the way, understand two things. Number one, you're normal and you're welcome because none of us get this right. But number two, there is hope. You don't have to stay lost forever because there is a way to get back on track. There is a way to get clarity. But the thing that we have to admit, the thing that we have to come to terms with, whether it's in a car or in life, is maybe we weren't just driving in the wrong direction, but maybe we have been living in the wrong direction. Maybe the reason why we're not now where we wanted to be then isn't because life happened or COVID or everyone to blame. Maybe it's because we, I, me, made choices in times and moments that I thought were detours, but ended up being a direction that led me to a destination. Maybe that destination right now is a relationship that you shouldn't be in. It's not good for you. Maybe it's a place where you're working, you're just profoundly unhappy because even though it's a good job and even though people work with good people, you know in your heart this is not what you dreamed of. Maybe it's something deeper, something more, more serious and either of those things. The point is if we are not where we want to be now is because at some point then we chose the wrong direction. Now, that's challenging. I get that. And that's like, a, okay, but here's, here's the good news. Here's the, here's the hope in all this. If that's true, well then all you got to do is change your direction and things will eventually change. If you're lost and you're stuck, you took some wrong turns, okay, it's not over. You're not dead. I mean, there's still hope, there's a future, there's a windscreen. You can spend the rest of your life looking through the rear of your mirror, or you can look at the future and possibility and plan and purpose of God for your life. And God doesn't judge you, and God doesn't you know, punish you. I mean, we have to live with the consequences of our choices, but God offers you a hope and a future but we got to change our direction. Now, where all this kind of comes to, to God is when you think about the scripture, especially Jesus, Jesus' ministry, Jesus talked a lot, obviously, about direction. One of the most famous instances of Jesus teaching, talking, inspiring, challenging us about direction is found in Matthew's gospel, chapter 7 and verse 24. And in context, Matthew, we're told, he was a tax collector. He, you know, if you don't know your, your kind of history in general, the, the nation of Israel was uh, basically under the control of Rome, and you know, Rome ruled Israel, and they had these tax collectors that would work on behalf of Caesar to collect tax from the people. And of course, only one thing worse than the Romans was a Jewish person, Israelite, who worked for the Romans. Because like, you should be on our side, but now you're, you're, you're basically charging us tax. Well, Matthew has this incredible encounter with God, with Jesus, that changed changes his life and so he decides to devote his life to follow him and because he was academically trained because he was a scribe he wrote down his account of his time with Jesus that became the gospel of 
Matthew, gospel, which means good news. Good news according to Matthew. And in Matthew 7, again, when Matthew wrote his letter, it was much more like a letter, an email. It didn't have chapters and verses. Those are there to help us. Because if I told you right now, find the place in Matthew where it says, we'd be here for an hour going, oh yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure it's right here. So scholars put in chapter and verses to help us find stuff quickly for times like now. But when Matthew in context was writing this portion, Jesus is going through this teaching. It's well known. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. Why the Mount, you ask? Because it says in verse, chapter five, he went up on a hillside. That's why it's called Sermon on Mount. And he began to teach. And he talked about all sorts of things. Prayer, murder, adultery, generosity, worry, anxiety, all this stuff. And at the end, as he's concluding this message, he tells a parable. He tells a metaphorical story. Parable, English word, comes a Greek word, parabole, para, means alongside, bole is the verb to throw. So a parable is a story where you basically throw or there's a truth attached to a story. It's a metaphor. And so in this parable, Jesus knocks off the TV and uh, come back to life. I command thee in Jesus' name. It'll come back in a second. So Jesus basically says to the people in conclusion, he gives them a parable for their life. That when you take seriously the teachings and direction of Jesus and you apply them to your marriage, to your relationships, to your business, to your life, you reap a harvest. Another way of saying it is you get to experience the thing that you only dreamed was possible. So in verse 24, be behind me. On the screen, it says this. Therefore, and the reason why, uh, as one Bible college teacher once told me, if you want to know what therefore is therefore, go back and read what came before therefore, okay? Because he's concluding. So therefore, he says, everyone who hears these words of mine, now watch this, hears these words of mine, and what? Puts them into practice. Here's what Jesus said, will have a quick fix for all the problems. God bless everybody. No, that's not what he said. He said, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice. In other words, Jesus is saying, hearing isn't enough. Like maybe you're here and you're not a Christ follower and you're hearing me, that's cool. And maybe you're disagreeing with me, that's cool also. But the power of what I'm saying isn't in what I'm saying or how I'm saying or who's saying it. The power is in your application of it. Why? Because to apply what Jesus says implies that you trust him. And when you apply what he says and that implies trust, that's called faith. And when you wear faith in Jesus, you will never be let down. But many of you in this room or online have grown up in church and you've heard all this stuff before. And you're wondering, I grew up in church and I was in Sunday school and I listened to the sermons and I did that. But the power is not in participation or hearing. The power is in application. Anyone who hears and puts them into practice. Understand, Jesus didn't offer a quick fix. Jesus invited them to follow him, to trust him, to put their faith in him. Just like Jesus offers us, not a quick fix, but Jesus offers us a new direction, a new way to live life. He continues, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like the wise man. Now again, man, human, wise person. Okay. And here's the good news. Wise can be defined as 
you know, um, sorry, the op- we, think, we think that wise is smartness, is intelligence, it's talent, or it's been resourced. That's not wisdom. You mean, you don't have to be smart or intelligent or talented or well-resourced to be wise. You can be dirt poor broke. You can be the most untalented person in the room. You can have no talents whatsoever and not be generally smart and still choose because wisdom is a choice. As we say time and time again, one way of defining wisdom is wisdom is living as if life is connected. Like you don't just come to church today randomly. This, this choice to be here is connected to something, something important. The person you choose to marry isn't just a person, it's your future. Like wisdom understands that my choices tether me to a destination. In other words, wisdom is, is the idea that the past is connected to the present and is a good predictor of the future. Wisdom is knowing that if I have a one-year-old baby and they've had a big lunch, I don't check their nappy before they get in the pool. Chances are we're going to use all the chlorine in the world to clean that pool. Wisdom says the past is connected to the present and those two things working together are the best or one of the best predictors of the future. Wisdom understands, this is getting to the heart of the message, that direction is a good indicator of destination. Like I said, I was in Derry yesterday. Derry's way up in the top of Ireland. If I left my house and jumped on the M7 heading towards Cork, how many know I'm not getting to Derry? Like I'm going to drive until I reach Kinsale and that's it. Now I can throw my keys at the window and I can shake my fist at God and I can blame my wife and life and recessions and COVID and my parents and my father who didn't kiss me enough and tell me how great it was and how awesome it was. I can blame the whole world for why I'm not in Derry and in Kinsale. But the truth is it was my choice to go a certain direction that got me to the destination I was in. So the implicit application is, if you don't like the current destination you're in, change your direction. Because even though you may not be, I may not be in Derry, I can still turn around and start moving in the right direction. Wise people understand that direction is a good indicator of destination. Jesus continues, therefore, anyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built because we're all building something. I don't mean practically. I'm not a very builder-oriented kind of person. I had to learn. Thank God for YouTube. All the men say amen. Like, I mean, all of us who are never handymen have become something because of YouTube. And, you know, that's an amazing thing. But, but beyond just buildings of home, we're all building a life. And our life right now, whether you like it or leave it, will become your legacy later. When whoever it is that love you and are connected to you, whether it's kids, grandkids, siblings, cousins, when you're not here, they'll talk about your life then as it was now. And your life you're living now will become your legacy. You can choose, you can shape your legacy then by how you choose to live now. But building, and the reason why Jesus chose that, that metaphor, building requires process. Like this was the first century. They didn't have pop-up tents. They didn't have screws. They didn't have super glue. Building required 
a process. And in the same way, building a practical house requires process. Building a life, building a marriage, building a career, building a business, building a, a calling requires process. It requires time and repetition and discipline. And the one that we hate the most, delayed gratification. But I want it now. I asked one of the guys this morning, hey, off you go there to Starbucks and grab me a coffee. Went over Starbucks, it was closed. How was like the injustice? Like, I want coffee now. I need coffee now. Why is there no coffee now? And it's like, sometimes we lose our mind, but we forget like, we don't, we're not owed anything. The breath that you just drew in, that's not yours. Did you make it? Do you guarantee it? When it's gone, can you bring it back? No, you have no power over that. It's given to you. And again, maybe here, not a Christ, but I don't believe in God. Maybe it's the universe or energy or some space monkey and planet Mars. I don't know what you believe in. I believe in God. And God gave us the gift of breath. And when God says our time is done, that breath will no longer be there. And sometimes it's good for us to be reminded that it's good to live in a world where we have technology and we have stuff, but we don't, we don't deserve, we're not old, anything. And if we're going to build something that's going to stand in life, a marriage, a relationship, a faith, a legacy, then we've got to be able to understand the power of time and just consistency and discipline, saying like we just finished the whole series in guardrails, and delaying instant gratification now to be able to play later. Jesus said, any man puts the word in practice, built his house. Now understand, the metaphor, this metaphor, he's talking about a physical house because that's, that's what people understood because back then you built your own house. You didn't go pay a builder. I mean, like you, just, you just said, okay, dad, can I take this back garden? Yeah. And you built your house. Okay. So it made sense to them. Uh, but the metaphor, the house is, is representative of your life. That any man who's wise and builds his house, builds his life, his, you know, the total sum of your relationships the, the, the degree of your reputation, your finances and your future. And I would throw in there your faith. Any man who is wise, in other words, he hears my words and puts them into practice, applies them, is like a person who builds their life on the rock. Now, who is the rock? Next slide, please. Well, the rock is many things. He's an actor. <laughs> Pretty good actor. <laughs> A rock is a physical thing. In this metaphor, building a house on a rock is going to see is an actual thing. But in essence, Jesus said, if you take these words of mine and you trust me in implying them, even though right now, culturally, it's not the coolest thing to do, even though it may be difficult, even though people may criticize you and mock you, even though it may mean in the, in the, in the short term, saying no to certain things, so in the long term, you can say yes. It's like building a life on a sure foundation. Jesus didn't offer a quick fix. He invites us to follow him. Jesus offered us a foundation. Jesus invites us in trusting him into a new direction. Now, the, the metaphor parable doesn't finish there because in verse 26, he goes on to say, because there's two characters in this parable, as they usually are, he said, but, the, uh, but whoever hears these words of mine, he says, and does not put them into practice, there it is again, is like a foolish person who built their house on the sand. 
Now, again, we're not construction experts, so unless you're an architect or a builder, it's like, what's going on? Well, you don't have to be an absolute genius to know that building your house on sand is a bad idea because sand isn't stable. Sand isn't trustworthy. Sand can let you down, and sand wrecks your car, so sand is a pain in all sorts of senses, okay? But here's the thing. Just like people aren't born wise, our wisdom isn't about intelligence or, you know, how much money you have or where you come from. In the same way, you're not born foolish, you're not, you're not genetically programmed to be foolish. Foolish, likewise, is a choice. And if wise people are people who live as if life is connected, then foolish people, by definition, are people who believe life is disconnected. My choices now have no consequence to my future. What I'm doing and who I'm doing it with and who it's affecting has no impact in my future, on my future. And of course, that is foolishness. Why? Because the, past, the foolish person would say the past is not connected to the present and it's not a good predictor of the future. Hey, live for five minutes on earth and you'll know this is complete nonsense. Because you, you, you hurt someone you care about and you keep hurting him and keep being foolish in the belief that, listen, you know, one day we'll get over, I'll say sorry and I'll be okay. You will lose that relationship. And one of the saddest things for me as a pastor, oftentimes, is counseling people where they've lived with a lifetime of regret because the person that they call brother or sister or mother or father or even son or daughter, they don't talk to. Because one of either party or both parties at one point were foolish and hurt each other. And the relationship died. I don't know about losing money, losing a house, losing a job, but losing the people that we love the most when they're still alive is perhaps one of the most greatest pains a human person can go through. Where does it come from? It comes from us, them, all of us being foolish. Foolish people think what I do right now and how I chose to choose to live has no consequence on my future. That's okay when the sun is shining and the sand is solid. But Jesus says in verse 27, but then the rain came down and the streams rose up and the winds blew and beat against the house and it fell with a great crash. Now here's a great theological question. Which house, the wise man's house or the foolish man's house was hit by the storm? Both. Because even if you're a Bible-believing, Jesus-following Christian, you're still going to go through storms in life. If you're a human being and you're sucking oxygen, here's the guarantee, pain and suffering. And there's reasons for that. And again, we can have a much broader conversation with the origins of the world and why that is. That is not God's fault. That is the consequence of the original man saying, my choice right now is not connected to the future of all mankind. So if I eat this fruit and shun God, it's my choice. Because we all go, well, I would have liked to have a vote in that one. You think people in Ukraine or parts of the world right now that are suffering, do you think they had a choice in what's happening to their country? Foolish people do things with no reverence for God in the future and people always get hurt. But whether you're a believer or not, we go through the storm. The difference is, depending on where we built our life, the foundation on which we stand, our house will stay or the warning Jesus gives will fall. And I think it's amazing with a great crash. Like when we go through economic downturns, we call it a crash. 
when, it, when, a, when a computer stops working, we call it a crash. Isn't it interesting that in our own language, in our vernacular every day, when things fail miserably, we actually use the word crash. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus said, hey, when you live your life like a foolish person, by yourself, of yourself, for yourself, with no reverence for God, no thought for the future, eventually life will catch up to you and there will be a great crash. Now again, I'm not here to say, if that's you, that you, game over, you're done, you had your chance, now get out. I'm here to say, we've all been there to some degree. We've all had great crashes at some level, but there is hope and there is help for the future. And if it isn't you, but someone you know, isn't it true, back to the beginning, when we see someone who we turn to our spouse or someone and say, oh, that person's making this choice. Oh, they're in trouble. Oh, we, when, they, when their house falls with a great crash, we say, you know what? You should have seen that coming. When it's your own life, you think, man, I should have seen that coming. It's like in the moment, people try to warn us. They try to say, hey, you sure? Is this a wise idea? Have you checked out their background? Doesn't seem that their values are aligned to yours. You sure want to begin a relationship with this person? I mean, they don't really have any kind of you know, respect for the things you say. They don't really care about church. Like, should you commit the rest of your life to someone who has a different set of value systems to you? Ah, yeah, the grand. Then like, wallop. Like, what happened? I don't understand. We're like, you idiots. You foolish person. You should have seen that coming. Now, to kind of conclude the whole thing, Jesus then says in, in verse 25, go back to your verses, he says that when the rain, the wind, and the storms hit the house of the wise man, it said, yet it did not fall because those fellas were fluky. That's the Irish version, that's not there, that's my insert. You know, it's so funny how when, when our life goes, when we make choices that are foolish, we wish they weren't, we hope they weren't, we hope we don't get caught in the catches. And someone else chooses the wise one, right? You're sitting in traffic, you're trying to beat everybody, you're one of those guys in the car, boom, 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 boom. you get in a lane, bang, you're stuck. And all these other guys are flying by, and you're going, oh, those fluky fellas, those guys. Well, are they really fluky? Or is it they made a wise choice? People whose house stands, stands in the face of, doesn't stand because they're fluky, it's because they made a choice to build their house on a foundation. To choose to live their life in a direction. To choose to, to, to submit and make choices in the present in light of who and where they want to be in the future. It's not fluke, it's fact. Just like the law of cause and effect. Just like the biblical principle of sowing and reaping. It's all the same thing. It's not random chance. It's science. It's biblical principle. It's God's words, how God designed the world. You, we, we make choices, our choices have consequences. John F. Kennedy, one of the greatest American presidents, who you know, was single-handedly responsible for driving on the space program, innovation, technology in the 60s, which actually led to so many people creating technology that we enjoy today, and of course, one of the major leaders of the civil rights movement, he said, effort and courage are not enough. You know, given a solid... You know, effort, like, like giving, it, giving everything off, you need purpose and you need direction. And the story finished and the whole sermon finishes, verse 28, with, with the, the people being amazed. They were amazed at this teaching. Why? Because he thought as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. And we know this. Why? Because when we hear this teacher, we go, man, where has this been my whole life? Like, why wasn't that there in my first marriage? 
Why was I there when I chose this course? Why was I not there when I chose this direction? If I had known this then, my house wouldn't have fallen in a great crash. And the truth is, in many ways, the system that we book against, the system that we call religion that we don't like, that's what this is. But when you draw near to Jesus... When you commit yourself to finding him in his word, when you listen and apply his teaching, you begin to realize this isn't just good advice or good stuff or good, good moral or good ethical or good inspiration. There's authority in what he says. And the reason why the crowds were amazed wasn't just because he had authority, it's because he taught in a way that revealed his heart. See, he cared for them. He taught them these things because he cared for them. In the same way as we begin to close, he cares for you. Now understand, God's a good father. If you want to live the rest of your life as if he doesn't exist, that's your choice. That's a free country, it's a free world, and God's given us free will. But when we make choices in our free will, and things work against us, or random chance because we're human beings, pain and suffering... We can't then turn around and blame God. You can't have it two ways. Either you're God or you're not. If you're God, when things go wrong, be God to yourself. Heal yourself. Save yourself. Provide for yourself. Trust in yourself. But then don't turn around and say, where are you, God? But if you right now choose a new foundation, if at the beginning of this series, you with me say, God, I want to live in your direction. I want to live out your extraordinary purpose. Even though we go through the storms of life, listen, your world will not crash. It will somehow stand in spite of the opposition. Why? Because you're building the rock. So I want to encourage you, I want to challenge you as we begin this series. Don't choose a path that is guaranteed not to get you where you envision being. Because if you keep going in the wrong direction, if you're driving a car, what's the worst that could happen? Well, you arrive a little late. You have a chuck, you say, oh, I took the wrong road and I'm a little late. Oh, I'll tell you a funny story. Well, three years ago, the only thing that would go wrong would be late. In today's day and age, you'd be late and you'd be losing money because petrol's so expensive. But the worst that can happen is you're a little late and you're a little bit less you know, arrogant in your pockets. But when it comes to your life, not only will you be a little late, but you could end up completely lost. And what's minutes in a car can be a year's in real life. What's an hour on a journey can be a decade. I don't know about you, but I don't have enough decades to be lost for that amount of time. I don't, I don't want to be wondering what's my purpose and why was I made and, and why didn't that relationship work out and why. I don't want to live my life in that way. I mean, you can have money, you can be successful, you can have stuff and still be completely lost. Whereas you can have nothing, but because you're in the right direction, because your life is built on the rock, because you know there's a plan and purpose and I'm somehow today living in it, it's a great sense of freedom. A great sense of satisfaction in knowing I'm exactly where God wants me to be. In the end, here's the truth. We can't wish our way. We can't talk our way. And you know what? We can't even pray our way back in time. You can go back in a car, but you can't go back in life. We get one of these things. And the reason why I'm doing this series is because I want you 
to use your time wisely. I want you to be the best of whatever God's called you to be. Husband, wife, spouse, citizen, business person, educator, student, innovator, artist. I, I don't know what God's called you to be. I want you to experience the joy, the peace and satisfaction of living in this world with all the storms and craziness, but knowing my life is on the rock and my path, my direction is where I'm supposed to be. So, the prince of the path, then, as we conclude, and this is really just laying the foundation. Today's all about laying the foundation. It's going to get really interesting next week and week three. But I'm going to lay the foundation. The direction determines destination. The direction which your life is going will determine where you end up. In other words, the best way to envision your future is to pay attention to where you're headed. Because if you have a dream to be here, but you're going that way, hey, it's time to do a U-turn and start directing your life in the direction of the vision that you have. And if you're a person of faith, understand Jesus never offers us a quick fix. Jesus invites us to follow him. Jesus invites us. Maybe you're here and not a Christ follower. Maybe this is, this is your, your moment to say, you know what, I'm going to give it a chance. I'm going to give it a shot. I mean, come on. You try all sorts of stuff. You try weird Chinese food. You try weird Indian food. You try weird Irish food, even a coddle. I mean, you try stuff all the time. Why not try Jesus? Because you know what? If you're right, you'll be right. But if you're wrong, it could change your life. Give it a shot. Why not just say to God today as we go into this song, God, I'm going to put my trust in you. I'm stepping out. I want to take hold of your, I want to build my life on the rock. Because here's the, here's the last thing I want to say. Because you're going to end up somewhere in life. All of us, every one of us, online room, we're all going to end up somewhere in life. It's just a matter of whether or not you want to end up somewhere on purpose and with purpose. I want you to end up somewhere on purpose, with purpose. I want your life to become a legacy that those that you love and love you the most will talk about your time on this earth with admiration and gratitude because you lived as a wise person. You lived as a generous person. You lived with the future in mind and you left a legacy that blessed and helped their life. Direction determines destination. Let's stand.